And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood. Thank you for listening, whether that be live over at Joy620, you're listening to the podcast, investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. We are so grateful that you are tuning in. Today, we are going to talk about a few things, one of those being manhood. We're going to start there. There's a piece over at Washington Post that looks at a recent study uh, concerning manhood, and so we'll walk through that, and uh, I'll give you my observations. And then we're going to look at the federal government continues with the, the Department of Defense creating parameters that, that are going to push abortion uh, through our military, even in states that outlaw abortion. So we're going to look at that and what that means and how we are going to combat that legislatively and also what is being done uh, to make sure that goes in a different direction. Then we're going to look at a new ad that was placed uh, just the other day. Uh, and it, it was pr- placed from the Democratic uh, Party. And, and what they're trying to say is that Republicans are trying to outlaw birth control. Uh, now, now the, the ad is racy and uh, people are, are not wearing, you know, they're, they're half-dressed. And, uh, and then all of a sudden a political candidate appears and it looks as if they're trying to pull and remove birth control from the equation, which is nonsense. No one's trying to do that. But we're going to look at why they think that and why, why that is so uh, blatant misinformation. And, and we're going to talk about that uh, as we finish up. But, but I want to start with a piece over at the Washington Post, and it's called Men Are Lost. Here's a map out of the wilderness. And, and here's what the author says. And uh, the author is Christine Imba uh, over at the Washington Post. I started noticing a few years ago men, especially young men, were getting weird. It might have been the incels who first caught my attention, spewing self-pitying venom online, sometimes venturing out to attack the women they believed had done them wrong. It might have been the complaints from the women around me. Men are in their flop error, one lamented, sick of trying to date in a pool that seems shallower than it should be. It might have been the new ways companies were trying to reach men. The average hoodie made these days is weak, flimsy, growled a YouTube ad for a tactical hoodie. You're not a child, you're a man, so stop wearing so many layers to go outside. Once my curiosity was piqued, I could see a bit of a curdling in some of the men around me too. They struggled to relate to women. They didn't have enough friends. They lacked long-term goals. Some guys, including ones I once knew, just quietly disappeared, subsumed into video games and porn, or sucked into the alt-right and the web of misogynistic communities known as the Manosphere. The weirdness manifested in the national political scene, too. In the 4chan-fueled 2006 campaign for Donald Trump and the backlash to Me Too and amateur militias during the Black Lives Matters protest, misogynistic text thread chatter took physical form in the Proud Boys, some of whom attacked the Capitol uh, in January 6th. Now, again, this is an opinion piece over the Washington Post. We're going to go further. It felt like a widespread identity crisis as if they didn't know how to be. This is such an ongoing thing, Taylor Reynolds size. I had this kid show up. Well, I say kid, but he's an undergraduate here. I mentor them sometimes. He came over to my house and asked me if we could speak privately. Reynolds, 28, a doctoral student at an Ivy League university, with his full beard, mustache, and penchant for tweet, tweed sport coats, plus a winsome southern accent courtesy of a childhood spent in rural Georgia, he reads as more mature than many of the professors roaming the campus. And the first question this kid asked me is just, what the heck does good masculinity look like? He grimaced, and I'll be honest with you, I did not have an answer for that. 
Anxieties around masculinity aren't unique to this moment. As early as 1835, Washington Irving lamented to the new American upper class's tendency to send our youth abroad to grow luxurious and effeminate in Europe. His alternative, a previous tour on the prairies, would be more likely to produce that manliness most in unison with our political institutions. Skip ahead a few decades and new worries, adult, new worries about faltering masculinity turn into an obsession with fitness. An October 1920 issue of Physical Culture magazine advertised to men instructions on how to square your shoulders and to women some advice. Shall I marry him? A lesson in eugenics. Still, by 1958, uh, we, we heard the male role has plainly lost its rugged clarity of outline. Writing in Esquire magazine, uh, the, the author of that piece said, The ways by which American men affirm their masculinity and uncertain are uncertain and obscure. They are multiplying signs, indeed, that something has gone badly wrong with the American male's conception of himself. And we see this even in the numbers that we talked about last week with marriage, people putting off marriage. And then it says this, deindustrialization, automation, free trade, and peacetime have shifted the labor market dramatically and not in men's favor. The need for physical labor has declined, while soft skills and academic credentials are increasingly rewarded. Growing numbers of working-age men have detached from the labor market with the biggest drop in employment among men ages 25 to 34. For those in a job, wages have stagnated everywhere except the top. And the piece goes on and on and on. And I'll put it in, uh, in the show notes on the podcast website. But, but I want you to understand that there is a, uh, a manhood problem in our society. The interesting thing is secular folks will say that, that there's a, there's a manhood problem. They'll complain about incels. They'll complain about people like Andrew Tate, who's a, a terrible human being, who's doing terrible things. But, but some young men are flocking to him and his message. Be, why are they doing that? They're doing that because they feel lost and no one is giving them a framework for manhood. No one is giving them a template for what it is to be a man. And so because they're not getting that at home, they're not getting that at church, they're not getting that in, in their circles of influence, they go online and they try to find what a man is. It's the same thing with Jordan Peterson. And, and some of these names you may not even know, but a lot of young men are flocking to Jordan Peterson. Now, now the Lord, I think, is doing a work in Jordan Peterson's life, but we're not completely there yet. But, but what he is telling young men to do is take care of what you can take care of. Make your bed first, clean your room, own the things that you can own, and then go out there and be the man that can take care of things. And then you got some folks that are, that are trying to say that all manhood is is being fit and muscular and, and domineering. And then you have a secular society that says we have a manhood problem, and all they can talk about is toxic masculinity. And what they would say, if you're a man and you vote conservative, then you're toxic. If you're a man and you believe in gender roles, then you're toxic. If you're a man and, and you live in the basement of your parents' home, then you're toxic. If you're a man and fill in the blank, then you are toxic. And, and, and so there is no clear message for young men today to step into manhood. And the, the interesting thing is, as, as with everything we talk about on this show, when it comes to life, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to fatherhood, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to infertility, all the things that we talk about, again, a secular society is good at pointing out the problems. 
They are terrible at giving you answers. Why? Because they, they talk in circles. So a secular society would say that, that men are toxic. A secular society would also say we have a manhood problem. A secular society that would also say that men can be women and women can be men. See, when, again, when, when you detach all of these things from a biblical worldview, they have no answer that all they have are problems. Well, why won't men step up and be the men they need to be? Why won't men step up and be a dad in these scenarios? Well, because the society has told these men, you have no say and you need to sit down and shut up. You, you see, you can't say men need to be men while also saying we don't know what a man and a woman is. These things don't work. So if you are trying to find answers in the secular culture to the problems that we are currently seeing, you aren't going to find the answers, at least not the right ones. So do we have a manhood problem? I would say yes. But not in the same way that, that society and culture would say we have a manhood problem. Look, for biblical worldview folks, we can look and say, okay, what is a man? Jesus embodied that man. He loved sacrificially. He gave himself up for, for those around him. He loved his mama. He worked hard. When, when the time called for it, there was a righteous anger where he boldly stepped out and did what the, the culture didn't want him to do. When a, when a woman was about to be stoned, he looked at the crowd, risking everything, and said, hold on, who, who, whoever in this group that hasn't sinned, you cast the first stone. And what happened? Everybody dropped the stones. Why? Because they knew they had their own set of problems. But you see, Jesus boldly stood in front of those men and challenged them. He challenged folks in different times. He was also compassionate. He also wept when he lost a friend. For those that, that hated him, that put him on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, he embodied everything a man should embody. Tough. Strong. Bold. Compassionate. Full of mercy. but holds the truth in high regard. Understanding what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. You see, what culture does is culture tries to figure out, and so we go through seasons. And in one season, it's, you know, fit men like action star heroes that we saw in Hollywood, especially in the late 80s and the 90s. In another season, it's you, you watch a movie, you watch a show, and you don't know who's the male and who's the female. In another season, we, we have dads on television that are just the, the dumb ones that can, can do nothing right. You see, secular society has this trouble of saying we have a manhood problem, but they can't define what a man is. They don't understand what it means to be a good man, what it means to be a good dad, what it means to be a good husband. Now, they know intrinsically what these good traits represent. They want to be protected. 
Everybody wants to be protected. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants a, a tough person around them for when things get hard. That is just the reality. We all desire that. Over the weekend, we were sitting there in our living room. It was about 930, and our dogs went nuts. And that doesn't happen often, but they heard something. And then we got them to calm down, and then they went nuts again. And my son, who is 12, said, Daddy, something bumped the window. Something's out there. Now, what did everybody in the living room expect to happen in that moment? They expected, my wife and my kids expected me to get up and go see what was going on in in the front of our house. It was no question. It wasn't... Who's going to go out there? At no point did my kids go, is mommy going to go out there? And at no point did my wife go, I'll do this because my husband's not going to take care of it. No, they all looked to me in that moment as daddy's going to go figure out what's going on. I go out to the front yard and there Hamlet stands, our pig, right in front of the flower bed. And he was rustling the bushes, making it hit the window that was getting the dogs upset. So it ended up being nothing. But the point of that is, in the Wood household, we understand what manhood is. And if I wouldn't have been there, Gavin, my son, would have went out there. Because intrinsically, we want to be protected. We just know that. And and I know this to be true, because even in scenarios where you're not with family, you're just in a large group, You're going to look around. Who could protect me if things go haywire? Who do I look to for assistance? And the problem is, even though we intrinsically know this, and intrinsically, if we wrote down, I did this at dad's class uh, a month ago. I, I said, what is manhood? What is fatherhood? What is husbandhood? And these are folks that are young, that are, that are, some have kids, some don't have kids, and, and some are Christian, some aren't Christian, and, and we all kind of said the same thing. The question is, would we say it in an opinion piece? Would we say it on television? Would we say it in certain circles because we don't want them to think that we believe in gender roles? But just like we could easily lay out the traits of biblical womanhood, We should be able to easily lay out the traits of biblical manhood. And and again, secular culture is really good at telling us what's wrong with everything. They're really bad at solutions. That's where we as the church, gospel people, come in and give those solutions. And it happens within the order that God has given us. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation... I now want to focus on uh, the Department of Defense, and and there's been a number of conversations in Washington with Senator Tuberville and and a number of folks, Tom Cotton and others, about DOD spending and, and frankly, abortion being provided through the military. Now, if you look at the DOD policy, it, it says that if a woman's life is at risk, it, they will, uh, they should be able to get. Uh, abortion. And so right now it says under federal law, Defense Department facilities can perform abortions only when the life of mother is at risk or in cases of rape or incest. And those instances have been extremely rare. According to the department, there were 91 abortions performed in military medical facilities between 2016 and 2021. Uh, now what 
what Tuberville and others are trying to say is the reality is there could be a possibility, and and we we certainly know with the the current administration, the desire to uh, promote and require and and provide more abortions is is right there. I mean, it, they're not hiding that fact. And so when when they say that they're trying to change rules or do this or do that or you have folks in the administration saying that you should be able to get uh, abortion pills through the mail or, you know, if a state, as we talked about last week, if a state uh, restricts abortion, you're going to lose certain federal funding that you've always gotten because uh, for low-income folks when it comes to birth control and other things. So so their, their desire isn't to uh, help women. Their desire isn't to champion families. Their desire is to provide more abortions. And so as we see these things play out, you know, when, when people say, well, this isn't what they were wanting to do. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but the, their track record is pretty clear. They, they have frequently gone after pregnancy centers. They have frequently done things to promote and, and, and to... Um, allow for more abortions. They actually believe that our military would be more successful if we have more abortions, which is just baffling to me. And so as we have these conversations, we have to look at the track record. And, and of course, any, any politician, anyone that comes out in, in favor of restricting abortion, anyone that comes out and says, hey, we're going to uh, stall any of your appointees until you make this or that decision. You know, it's often said you're, you're politicizing our military. That's what we're told. You're politicizing our military. You're politicizing this. You're politicizing that. Look, let me, let me give you, let you in on a little secret. Republicans politicize. Democrats politicize. Anyone that, that is in Washington, D.C., the, the sole reason they are there is to politicize things. It is so funny to me when politicians say, you're politicizing our military. You're politicizing our immigration plan. You're politicizing abortion. You're politicizing our health care. Folks, we literally elect them to politicize. That is all they do. All of them. Every one of them. And, and it's so funny. Or you're politicizing our Supreme Court. Are you kidding me? That is solely their job. Now, we can agree or disagree with it, or we can agree with that decision or that piece of legislation and not the other, but the reality is all of them are politicizing at this moment. So, so right now you have folks attacking pro-lifers for quote-unquote politicizing the, the military, and in their own attack of the pro-lifers, they are politicizing the military by wanting more abortions. You, you see what I'm saying? You see how, how nonsensical and laughable all of this is. And so it's, it's, it's like when they say this is nonpartisan. Give me a break. We're all partisan in some shape, form, or fashion. Or when they talk about separation of church and state, as I've said on the show, every institution is a theocracy. It just depends on who the theo is. Who is the God? What is the religion? And in many cases, for the secular world, the religion, the, the God, the idol, is abortion. 
Because they would say you can't have the strongest military in the land without abortion. You can't fill in the blank without abortion. You can't climb the career ladder without abortion. And, and so they are pushing it at every, every opportunity. And so they get upset when someone comes in and does a similar thing, but in the other direction. So as they're politicizing and trying to, to push and champion for abortion, you have other group of folks coming in and politicizing and trying to push and champion life. Sure, both of them are politicizing. I, I don't have any problem saying that. But one errs on the side of life and one does not. And so what does that mean for us moving forward? What does that mean for our military? Now, now our, we, we have folks saying that, that this is hurting our military in a time where our military is already struggling. But, but what they're not admitting, that, that military recruitment is down right now because we have lost our way when it comes to identity. So a lot of folks are like, well, I... I don't want to be a part of that particular military if they are pushing this agenda or narrative. Why? Because, again, we've politicized everything. We've politicized sports. We've politicized television. We've politicized uh, shopping. And so it's, it's always interesting to me when folks are like, oh, well, well you're politicizing. Uh, look around you. I... I you know, used to you could watch a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game and there would be no politicization from the players or the announcers. But now, can you watch any of that without an agenda or a narrative? Can you watch any of that without a commercial that doesn't go against your value system? There are certain stores that we have decided not to shop at. Why? Because they go against our value system. And so it's, it's not easy, but, but it's, it's laughable to me when politicians try to say, well, you're politicizing this or that. I'm sorry, you, you have politicized literally everything. Everything. And so when we see... That a federal government that is designed to protect its citizens, a federal government that is designed to, uh, from its founding, to, to champion life, to champion success, to champion freedom and liberties. When we see that same institution going the other direction and saying we need to champion the ending of life via abortion, that same institution saying we need to remove gender roles, we need to move, remove identity, we need to muddy the waters on everything. We, we've gone astray, folks. And so it's, it's, it's baffling to me that we have elected officials claiming abortion is the answer to these things. We we've had we've had financial leaders in this country within the administration say abortion is the answer to the economy issue. We have people that are supposed to be creating jobs saying that abortion is the answer to the job issue. 
We now have people in elected office saying that abortion is the answer to military problems. Folks, abortion isn't the answer ever. Now, that doesn't mean that, that if a woman's life is at risk that, that you shouldn't step in. I would love to see the data on what those cases have been. Have they been ectopic pregnancies? Again, because they've the water on all these definitions on what even a pregnancy is and what an abortion is. And they did that on purpose. So the question is, how are we going to move the ball down the field as a society and as a culture if at every turn we are championing the ending of life in the womb? Well, you're not. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, and as I was speaking about politicization, I mean, this is... Uh, this is the mantra of left and right. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend as if folks on our team or folks on my team, conservatives, uh, don't politicize things. That, I mean, of course, of course we do. There's no question that, that everybody does in some shape, form, or fashion. The, the problem I have is when people act as if they're just uh, so shocked, so shocked that you would try to politicize this. Well, what is, what is the administration doing when they pull federal funding from states that have restricted abortion, when they tie that funding to your abortion laws, what are they doing? They are politicizing. They are saying we are going to we are going to harm states like Tennessee that that have restricted abortion. We're going to pull federal funding from those states that what that federal funding dollars. Title X funding goes to low-income families for birth control and, and reproductive services and health services. Not abortion, but health services for low-income families. That's what that funding does. And then when Tennessee says, we're going to pass a law in the state of Tennessee that outlaws abortion, the federal government says, well, then we're going to pull that funding. And so then the health departments across our state have to scramble. They have to figure out what they're going to do. Nonprofits in our state have to scramble and figure out what they're going to do. But it's not just Tennessee. It's other states that have restricted abortion. That in and of itself is politicizing the issue. That isn't saying we care so much about the people in the state of Tennessee, although we disagree with, with a law that they passed, we're still going to provide funding because we think the funding matters and the funding is going to get to the people that need it. No, they're not doing that. They're saying that we are so disagreeable to the, the legislation that was passed that we're, we're just going to pull funding that may harm citizens. That, that is uh, the mindset and the goal. And the interesting thing in that context, there was an ad recently that was posted that, again, is very racy. And, and uh, it's a man and a woman in like a hotel room and they're, uh, they barely have any clothes on and, and they're, they, they reach for a form of birth control. And before they can grab it, uh, a person shows up in the room, and it's a white-haired man in a suit, and he grabs it and says, we're here to take your birth control away. And, and what they're trying to say is conservatives in Washington are seeking their next step. After we got Roe overturned, the next step is to take away birth control, which, again, is not going to happen. No one has said that. No one is for that. And if there are people that are for it, it's a very few people. But, but who has 
This is, this is the interesting thing. That's why it's interesting to see the dichotomy between this political ad that claims pro-lifers and conservatives are wanting to, to remove birth control and take birth control away from people in conjunction with the federal government pulling Title X funding from states like Tennessee. So, so which group of folks are actually taking birth control out of the hands of citizens? Is it conservatives or is it a federal government that says we're going to pull Title X funding from the state of Tennessee? That funding that, that funds and actually puts birth control in the hands of citizens, we're going to remove that. So, so who has actually taken birth control away from its citizens? It was the federal government with the funding mechanism they just pulled out of the state of Tennessee and other states. But you see, you don't see a political ad for that. No, what you see is they try to paint pro-lifers and conservatives as some people that just want to remove birth control. Now, what they're also not saying is for, for many in the, in the pro-abortion camp, abortion is a form of birth control. They believe that. And so I guess in that way, if we remove abortion from our state, they say that we're removing a form of birth control. But, but this is why it's important that we understand the landscape in front of us. This is why it's important that we understand language. This is why it's important that we understand legislative practices, federal funding mechanisms, whether it becomes with the, the Department of Defense or uh, the Department of Health, or within our own states, we need to understand that these things matter. And it's all connected. It's all connected. So when they run a political ad saying that those big bad Republicans are going to remove and take away your birth control, what they're not saying is that the Department of Health has already removed federal funding from states that have restricted abortion that did in 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 all intents and purposes, the removing of that funding did actually take birth control out of the hands of citizens. So regardless of your opinion on birth control, and I have mine and I have strong opinions when it comes to that, regardless of your opinions on it, if you just looked at it in black and white, no legislation has been passed that's going to take away birth control. No legislation has been passed by Democrats or Republicans that's going to take away birth control from its citizens. But there has been a decision made to remove federal funding from states that have passed abortion laws that did, in fact, remove funding for birth control. So there are some people within the state of Tennessee that have always had access to birth control because of this federal program that at, at least at some point may not have access to it in the coming days, weeks, months. Why? Because of the politics of it all. Because ultimately it isn't about helping citizens. It's about pushing an abortion agenda. You've got to remember that the abortion agenda is, is heavy and strong. It's the sacred cow. And so even I was reading about the Department of Defense, um, and there was a congresswoman that stood up and said, that this decision is taking us backwards. You see, in their mind, removing abortion 
takes us backwards. You see, because progress is good no matter what, even if it means you are sacrificing the least of these to, see, to, to achieve that progress. And what's baffling to me is this is being said, not behind closed doors in, in meetings that we're not privy to. This is being said when millions of people are watching and cameras are around. It's being said out loud, boldly. That without abortion, we can't possibly progress to our greatest use. And then at the same time, they're saying we have a manhood issue. And at the same time, we have a marriage issue. And at the same time, we have, we're having less babies. And at the same time, we're having fertility issues. And at the same time, it goes on and on and on and on. And our culture, whether you're a secular person or a religious person, a culture cannot sustain if it is not reproducing. That's just the reality. And so as we get to a place, and if we just look at the data and just look at the numbers in front of us, we're at a breaking point right now. And so what is the answer? Is the answer more abortion? Well, for some people, they do believe that is the answer. Because why? They've gotten a, they've gotten a chance to live. So who cares about the generations that are to come? It's interesting, when you look at the Founding Fathers, the Founding Fathers left a pretty good situation. But why? Because they wanted freedom. They believed in liberty. They wanted you to be able to worship who you wanted to worship. Live the life that you wanted to live. They didn't want you to be taxed unfairly. Now, why did they do that? Did they do that for themselves? Or did they do that for the generations to come? You see, everything they did was built on the, the assumption that we're going to hand this baton off to generations. And then that, that our kids and our grandkids are going to hand it off to their kids and grandkids and so on and so on and so on. And we want to hand them the greatest country this nation has ever seen that elevates freedom, that elevates the ideas of God. Our founders even said, this constitution doesn't work for a secular people. This constitution only works for a moral people. And so they were, they were sacrificing everything for the future of the generations to come. And now we live in 2023 in a culture that is sacrificing the futures that are to come for everything that we can achieve. Do you see how backwards that is? Like, do, do you see how backwards we have, have become? Whereas if you go back hundreds of years, or even go back to, to World War II, they were sacrificing themselves for futures that were to come for future generations that were to come. We're, we're going to fight the enemy so that our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids can have the life we want them to have. And if that means we have to lose our life, then so be it, because we care about the future generations. And fast forward today, and what we are doing is we are sacrificing our most vulnerable in the womb for our future. 
for our career, for what we can achieve, for, for, for our progress. You see, we flipped it. And, and, and at some point, we're going to have to look in the mirror and answer the call and either make a correction or this is a very damning, destructive path that we're going down. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, look, you know, the last segment, I've been, I'll just be honest, I haven't given a ton of thought to to the illustration I gave in the last segment. It just kind of popped in my mind as, as I was talking. Uh, but I do think that's where we are. We, we as a people should love, I mean, as a biblical people, our love should be one that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. So, so as a dad, I sacrifice myself for the good of my children. As a husband, I sacrifice myself for the good of my wife. As a, as a male in society, I sacrifice myself for the good of civilization. At the church, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That's what Jesus did. That's the life he lived. And, and so when we think about what we have done as a culture, we can look back and we can, we can mark the moments where the founding fathers were like, we're, gonna, we're literally saying we're sacrificing it all for the future generations to come. You think about the Civil War. We were willing to say we're willing to sacrifice the greater union if that's worth what we need to do so that all men would be tr- treated and created equally. The Civil Rights Movement. We're willing to sacrifice what we claim to be normal for the good of others. World War One, World War Two. We we are willing to sacrifice for future generations so that they can have what we have and more. Right. So there's always been this this drumbeat of I'm willing to sacrifice for the generations that are to come for my grandkids and my great grandkids. And now in 2023, we are at a moment where we're saying we don't even know if we want future generations. Do you follow me on that? There's a segment of our population and, and that, that are purposely in choosing to not have future generations. I'm not talking about the ones that are dealing with infertility. I'm not talking about the ones that, that are struggling in, in that aspect. I'm saying for the ones that are choosing and saying, I don't want to have future generations because I am pursuing self at all costs. And that is what the abortion agenda ultimately does. It says that we sacrifice our own for the good of me. We sacrifice our own so I can climb that career ladder. We sacrifice our own so I can get that college degree. We sacrifice our own so I can chase that next dollar. We sacrifice our own just because I don't really want the responsibility of a child. We sacrifice our own for the good and the greater good of ourselves. You see, the mindset has shifted. And that's why when, when politicians or anyone that speaks out on behalf of abortion, and when they say things like, we're doing it for the future, or when they talk about it, you know, even when we saw the pandemic or, 
or Nancy Pelosi has, has sometimes got in front of the camera and says, we're, we're making these decisions for future generations. Well, you can't say that while also promoting abortion. Because what is abortion doing for future generations except for extinguishing future generations? So we are now at a, at a point in time where many in our society have said, I'm no longer going to sacrifice myself for the good of others. I'm going to sacrifice the most vulnerable for the good of myself. But see, don't be surprised because that is what a secular, only the strong survive mindset ultimately culminates in. And that is my greater good. My future, my progress, whoever and who cares who I step on in the process. But, but instead, what we should be doing is, is saying we're going to love in such a way that, that I would rather sacrifice myself for the good of others. And see, that's not easy, and it's, it's countercultural, it's biblical. But it's countercultural. It, it doesn't make sense to a secular society. A secular society that continues to say we have a manhood problem, that continues to say we have a marriage problem, that continues to say we have all these problems, we just don't have any answers. Well, guess what, folks? There is an answer in the gospel mindset, in a biblical worldview. And so we are to love sacrificially. For the good of the generations to come. That's a message that will resonate. That's truth that is needed today. We'll talk to you next time.